This is Rugger Matrix America. Happy New Year to everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report, joined as always by Bruce McLean, head coach at Iona College, coached uh, championship teams at pretty much every level, and Pat Clifton from Rugby Today, and, and one of the big news is, big news, one of the big pieces of news, one of the big pieces of news uh, about Pat, well, we can talk about that, but he is also now head coach at Lindenwood University, Belleville, pretty exciting development for Pat, we're excited for him there, the this show is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. We're talking about last year. We're talking about this year. That is the coming year. And we're glad you're here. Guys, well, first of all, Happy New Year. And Pat, congratulations on the new gig. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited about it. Uh, Lindenwood Belleville University. It's sister school of the Lindenwood University and only about 45 minutes away from it. So starting a, uh, a varsity program just like Lindenwood did in 2011 but probably with less 30-year-old Australians and uh, excited probably. to get on the job pretty soon. Probably with fewer. Yeah, without 30-year-old Australians. Yeah, yeah. okay. I can say that safely, I guess. Okay, good. Is that – and tell me a little bit about the school. People don't know much about it. I mean, are you going into it, um, probably hitting it in lower divisions first? Yeah, probably. Um, we'll have conversations with the conferences around us. Um, and see if uh, if they'll let us in. I, I think there's a potential chance that Lindenwood uh, St. Charles uh, burned a few bridges um, a couple of years ago, beating teams by exorbitant amounts. Um, but I think some of that's been smoothed over, and I just happened to have found a Division II conference a few years ago, so I might have enough goodwill there. We'll just see. You know, Even if we have to go independent, the plan is to start lower and build our way up. But, yeah, the school has never been a program, so we're starting it from whole cloth and – um, you know, no so, players. So no players. No players. Not a single player yet. So that'll be my duty between now and, and hopefully hitting the field in the fall of 2015. So we now got two coaches here, and and Bruce, uh, any advice for Pat? I think the hardest thing is just going to be to in in the men's game and in the high school game. You can, especially in the men's game, you're able to to do things your own way. You're able to. Guys can drive to games. Guys can, you know, everybody's kind of responsible for themselves. In the college game, 300 people telling you what to do, and there's 8 million rules, and I think that's the the biggest things to overcome are the logistical and the, uh, and the administrative things that you have no control over from people who could give two craps whether or not you're successful. Well, that's... Positive thought, but no, it's it's a very good point. The idea that first of all, um, and and Pat, you've been involved as all three of us have in, in uh, the youth level of rugby, where um, there's that whole thing about how do you get kids to games and stuff like that, and and you know on the on the high school level, you have parents who show up and can drive kids to games, things like that, and and uh, as Bruce said, on the men's level, you've got players who can drive themselves to games and then on the college level do they have cars you know how how is it put together is it um you know on a varsity varsity level it should be varsity you know university 
transportation. But how is that set up? They, well, you know, that's got to be a lot of fun to figure out and make sure it's done. Alex, what I found is that our guys did have cars, but they're not allowed to drive to games. We weren't allowed to drive to a game at the New York Athletic Club. We had to take a bus. We had to take a bus to Army. It's 45 minutes away. And the bus route you have to take takes two hours. So that's – and it costs $1,000, $1,200 for a bus. Those are the things that are – those are the things that are kind of a pain in the neck that you just don't think about because it makes no sense. But then again, colleges are run – to indoctrinate liberals into statism, so they make stupid ass <laughs> rules to uh, you know to hinder anything. So college is a waste of time. The only thing that's worth their time is rugby. Everything else is a complete waste. As Alex is finding out with his son at school, where he's paying exorbitant amounts of tuition to <clears throat> find out that he is just as intelligent and does all of his learning on his own anyway. RPI is a wonderful institution. Um, happy that he got me a discount, so um, I'm not complaining too much. Uh, we're we're going to do a show now. Um, we're going to look back a little bit at uh, 2014, which was uh, you know just an interesting year in the game. Uh, you know, a, a few things that going on that I think we should talk about. But we we do some of the fun stuff first. I w- want to see if we can pick some uh, some awards, come either come to a consensus or disagree completely. But we are, we're, we're looking at just a couple of little quick awards that I want to talk to guys about. And, and the first one would be Breakout Player or Young Player of the Year. Uh, I want to see what you guys thought about it. And, you know, if you don't have one and you've got two or three and you want to talk about them, that's fine. Okay, so that that's fine with me. So, uh, you know, Bruce, you want to you want to jump out um, with your uh, sort of breakout young player? I don't necessarily have a breakout young player. I think a guy who had a had a year where maybe he broke out a little bit in in terms of his playmaking ability and his ability to be part of the system was Falau Nua in the uh, in the men's 15s. I, I thought that he he made some serious plays that were and and, and that that put away pass that he had. I don't know if it was to Wiles or Scully. It was fantastic, and and I think that he's a big boy. He can bring defense and and he can and he can make plays. So I think he's going to be a a big part of whether or not the U.S. is successful in the World Cup. In my mind, you know, where he plays, I don't know, but I do think he's going to be a big part in that. No, that's good. Uh, you know, he um, he was one of those players where last year we were thinking, okay, well, how does he fit in? And, um, you know, what does he do? And can he translate? and Things like that. And, uh, you know, he... He actually is a lot bigger than he sort of appears, at least when he was playing sevens. It seemed like he was just sort of one of the – he didn't seem like he was all that big and strong a guy, but he actually is pretty big. He actually is very strong. Um, and and because of his distributing ability, I think that's a big part of – an overlooked part of playing center. Um, too many play, players there think all they need to do 
is run up set of rock. So, it, you know, that's great. Pat, what are you thinking? Um, well, on Falau, I, I, I think he is a breakout guy. I think that that's a good pick by Bruce, and it's going to be interesting to see where he's you know slots in for the World Cup. And overall, I'm sure this will be the one of the things we talk about later, but I'm really excited about some of the positional battles and, and stuff like that in regards to the World Cup because I think that we have some this year that we didn't have you know four years ago, and Falau will be a big part of that. Um, for, for my breakout performance of the year, I kind of had a bit of a three-way tie. Um, you know, yeah, I really didn't take the time to suss out which one really deserved the most, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, maybe surprising to you is a couple of women, Jessica Javale and Mia Bitzer, um, along with Perry Baker. I mean, Javale came seemingly out of nowhere, um, for the Atlanta Sevens and was immediately the Eagles' most dangerous player, uh, much like Perry Baker, um, or Carla Niles have done. And, uh, she went away for a while and the team struggled and now she's back and, I think that uh, if the Eagles are going to be looking for, you know, probing for a uh, a podium spot um, or relevance in the Olympics in 2016, uh, JJ is going to be a huge part of the reason why. And um, she just was a lightning bolt that came out of kind of nowhere. And and Maya Bitzer, I you know, I know that she's been around for a while, and and I probably should have known better. But somebody who probably, admittedly, uh, doesn't follow the women's game as closely as a the men's game this year was when she kind of landed on my radar and she had her, her YouTube video that went semi-viral um, this year and the World Cup this year and um, she's a sledgehammer and, and she uh, she jumped, uh, you know, this year was the first year I heard of her and, and so I thought she had a big year, um, maybe the best player at the Women's World Cup um, from my vantage point. And then and Perry Baker goes without saying, we all kind of knew Perry um, here domestically was – was a you know a huge talent and a great talent, um, but to be able to take that and step onto the World Series circuit and do it right away and, and be a hugely positive impact right away like he was to me is the epitome of a breakout. So those are kind of my three um, breakout performers of the year. I think those are great. You know, uh, it, you, the reason you hadn't heard of my Bitzer before was because when I did the play-by-play for the CRC Women's uh, Final uh in 2013 i completely butchered her name every single play and so you would have no idea that it was bitzer because i kept calling her Bizer. and uh <laughs> but she dominated that game and in fact pretty much any game you watch she dominates she's an extremely nice person um i don't suppose that matters one way or the other but she's one of those people who seems extremely gentle and and the like when you talk to her and then she goes on the field and she knocks people's teeth out of their heads, um, which I always find very interesting, that kind of juxtaposition of personality. Um, well, I think those are great choices. I, you know, I was, I was thinking about, you know, breakout um, or young player or, you know, something in a, and, and, what does that mean? I mean, I'm the one who threw that out there, but I mean, it's like, what does that mean? I mean, if I'm thinking young player, I'm thinking someone like Hanko Hermeshes, who was is a high schooler who was on the under-20 team and is now at the academy in Gloucester, who's a guy who has uh, enormous potential, but jumped, th- jumped like three levels this year. Um Interesting uh, kid, uh, family from South Africa, but he's from Nebraska. So um, I think that's somebody to, to, to think about as well. And I think about um, someone like 
Tim Stanfield, um, who wasn't really on a national team radar at all. I mean, we, we talk about him. You know, you, you talk about, well, wh- what are you going to do with the seventh team? Well, Stanfield's a pretty good player. Why don't we look at him there? And he really wasn't talked about on the 15th team at all. Shows up at the, the ARC, starts scoring tries, gets on the, the test team, starts scoring tries. So, you know, I, I kind of think that, that his, you know, he broke out. He broke out in the space of, a, of you know, a month and a half. Uh, from somewhere we knew exactly where he was it's to somebody where if we discuss who's going to play wing for the national team in games in the future uh he's definitely right there he's part of that uh, argument uh starting because he he accomplishes that so i thought that uh those were two um that that kind of jumped out at me and i i really can't uh, argue with Javelin and, and Bitzer on the women's side, so that would be what I say. Uh, you know what? I, I guess you know I didn't define it very well, but does it count as a breakout performance when you look at someone like Blaine Scully, who was you know really good player? He's been on the national team for a long time, but then he goes and scores five tries in two games, and suddenly. Maybe are we looking at him now as um, someone who has is a higher class of player now because of that because he because of that streak he had against Japan and Canada is that a breakout? I think it is. You stole my uh, player of the year uh, candidate there, but uh, that's all right. Yeah, he definitely. There's all different kinds of breakout, and I think that the fact that it's kind of vaguely defined um, is, is is okay. Um, because we all kind of went different directions with it. You know, you went to a young player. Bruce went to a guy who's been around a long time but is taking a more important role in the 15s code, and, um, you know, I went a different direction. So I think that that's fine. But, yeah, Blaine is definitely – 2014 was a huge year for Blaine. All right. I was, uh, I was yeah. actually going to pick him as my breakout. Um, it was you know, I got, got a little bit blindsided because I thought we were going in a different order. But, <laughs> but so – I had Falau and I, I uh, Scully had come into my head based on those performances, but I didn't pick him because he had been such a such an established guy, pretty much an automatic selection. So I didn't pick him. Yeah, exactly. He's a he's an automatic selection who just happened to have a a, a much better year. Um, Coach of the year, which I found actually I I find it very difficult um, to pick a coach of the year. Because, what, you just turn around and, and pick a coach of the top team? I, d- I don't know if that's necessarily um, necessarily what you you do. But there, there's a lot of criticism, actually, in my neck of the woods, if you skip to another sport, um, that there are people being overlooked for awards in the NFL in Seattle because they th- think they're being penalized for having a good team. Are you, should you be... Um, the, the implication being, say, Pete Carroll, coach of the Seahawks, doesn't get consideration for coach of the year because his team's really good rather than overcoming adversity. But is overcoming adversity uh, what makes you, um, you know, a better coach? I don't know. Um, thoughts on, on this one? I'm com- and, and this is – I'm completely bailing because this is uh, – I'm completely deferring because if you guys throw out some ideas, um, then I can I, uh, piggyback on those. Well, I think you're right, and it's something I wrestled with. Is a lot of times the coach of the year is either 
Um, and I, I think more often than not, a coach of the year in different sports is the guy who did most with the least amount of you know talent or perceived talent. Um, I think you see that a lot. Um, and and I don't. I'm not saying that there wasn't somebody who did that in rugby this year. You know, I think last year, Alex, when we were doing awards together for Rugby Mag, we picked Jason Granich as the coach of the year, and he uh, uh, was well deserving of that. And he is a guy who came from a team that nobody thought was going to win a national championship and took it to a national championship. Um, and I think we properly awarded him for that. But there's something to be said for a guy who is the coach of the best team of the year, um, and year in and year out. And so for my for, for that reason, I think that you can't just ignore somebody because they're really, really good. Um, and, and my coach of the year would be David Smith at BYU. Um, I, I don't know that David Smith gets as much credit as some of his coaching cohorts around the country. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think highly of Dan Pay, and a lot of people, you know, obviously Jack Clark and Tom Phillips have been Eagles coaches, so they've had their accolades. You know, Jack Clark's now in the U.S. Rugby Hall of Fame. Um, and you could you know talk about you know, Tim O'Brien is obviously uh, him and his his group up there are obviously fantastic and doing very uh, you know a lot with the little that they have. But um, I don't think it's fair to overlook what David Smith does at BYU when year in and year out. And for the last couple of years, they've been the best team in the country in college rugby, and maybe you know arguably the best team in in the country. Period. And, uh, and there's something to be said about that. So I don't think you can overlook it that, uh, uh, you know, what he's done. And I think he deserves some recognition. So that's why I picked David Smith. Yeah. My, my coach is Tim O'Brien and John Everett, um, for a similar reason. A, a, it was the first time they, they won a national championship. They were, they were able to, to beat BYU, which, and they also lost to BYU, but they, they did beat BYU, which was a, a huge accomplishment, and they probably have a more difficult schedule than than most teams. And I and I'd have to say that you know, for me, those guys and, and Lee Kelly from uh, from Gonzaga, who uh, coaches with Pete Pete but he, he Lee is the director of the program. I don't exactly know how him and how him and Pete split up all the work. So Gonzaga, I think, had a had a great year. And and I think them winning the national championship was a a big step up. But I you know, Tim O'Brien and, and John Everett would be my coaches of the year. I see now you guys were talking about adversity and all that. I think there's something to be said when you coach a team and you bring them from a place to another place, then you can be looked at as coach of the year. But part of coaching is getting the horses. So if you just think that it's going out on the field a couple times a week or a few times a week and and running some drills and doing some games and playing and doing things, there's a lot more to it than that. And you have to get trust and buy-in and a lot of things. And you got to be able to you got to be able to attract quality players. You got to be able to have players come and want to play for you. So that's part of coaching. Part of coaching is getting good players. And anyone who doesn't think that. And says, oh, if I only had this, well, you don't have it because they don't want to play for you. You know, you got to you got to be a coach that people want to play for. And your record is generally what it's at. You know, you are who you what your record says you are when you're talking about top tier. You could lose critical players 
and and then and that could cost you a season. I and mean, I've been in that boat. But the fact of the matter is, we've lost critical players at times and, and, and lost in the playoffs. And the fact is, we didn't have somebody to back them up. We didn't have a plan B. Well, plan, if you don't have a plan B, sometimes you lose. Great coaches are consistent. And so, you know, I think that the, all the people mentioned there have been very consistent. Dave Smith has, has people say it was an embarrassment of riches or these guys are old or whatever. Going to tell you, we've said this before, going on a Mormon mission, it's not like you're going out there and, and lifting weights and doing steroids. You're basically walking around for two years, knocking on doors, having people say no to you, which is essentially what happens. And it's not like you're living this great life of fitness and, and stuff like that. So it's not it's not a huge advantage in terms of that. So they they year in and year out are very consistent in their performance. And I think, Pat, that it's a deserving, it's a deserving thing. But as you, was, as you guys were saying, I do think there's something to be said for being the best and there's something to be said for getting people to play for you. So that's, that is part of coaching, regardless of whether or not anyone wants to think it, that those are guys who don't have the confidence to ask great players to play for them. And, but you want your players to play with confidence. But if a coach won't have the confidence to bring in great players, well, then, well, there you go. Then it's got to be all about him. And great coaches realize that it's all about the players. Anyway, enough of the soapbox. I, th- I think that's, those are great points. And you look at consistency and, you know, you, you know every, whenever anybody talks about uh, Cal, they talk about how well coached they are. And I think sometimes that's, uh, you know, kind of a, a backhanded compliment. It's sort of implying that they're, they're – maybe coached too heavily or something. I don't know what quite what people mean when they keep repeating it. Um, but Jack Clark and Tom Billups uh, consistently put out uh, a, a successful team, an extremely successful team. And I guess, you know, the bar for them is so high that when they, they don't win um, their championship, then, um, you know, that th- that wasn't a super successful year for them. But, uh, you know, they still had a good year. Um, still have, uh, you know, still play some great rugby, but, um, I, I would, I would have picked probably, uh, Tim O'Brien and Johnny Everett. And I think that putting Johnny Everett in there, I mean, Tim O'Brien does all the time when he's talking about his team and what St. Mary's did in beating every single, um, team that they faced and they, and they, uh, yes, they split with BYU, but they did beat them. Uh, they beat Cal, um, pretty convincingly and, and they beat life, and and that's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, nobody mentions anybody on the club side, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. Um, the Peter Baguetta thing, I think, is a great point. Peter, being the head coach, um, and I think sort of the game day uh, game plan guy for Gonzaga High School, and also coaching at Penn State with the women's team, who are dominant, almost beyond dominant, um, how good they are. Um, and also working with the uh, U.S. women's team, I think is uh, is a pretty impressive um, piece of work for him, and also helping with Maryland in the fall. Uh, so Peter should be thought of as perhaps one of the harder working coaches um, out there, and getting a lot of success. Um, so I looked at it this way: 
I'm I'm looking around for somebody and says who who jumps out at me as having something had some work to do, and did they did that guy accomplish? Did that guy it could be a woman obviously? Um, did that um, coach accomplish what was set out? Um, I was kind of thinking maybe maybe it would have been last year uh, or the year before. Somebody like Trip McCormick down in New Orleans would be somebody you might think about. But the guy that jumped out at me this time was Josh Macy at AIC. And uh, to get the really disparate groups of players that he gets at AIC and to put it together into a cohesive team, which I think it was much more this year than any other year, a really cohesive team. They won the ACRC uh, Sevens. They... they um, one, the ECRC conference. Uh, they go and beat Bowling Green in that bowl game. Um, and, and what you see is uh, some players, some of whom have raw talent uh, from uh, different walks of life. He has probably you know, as many African-American players on his team than uh, almost anyone. I'm sure there are a couple more that you might be able to count them, but a lot. And uh, um, I just kind of like what he accomplished. He didn't He's not. He doesn't have the best team in the country, but he's. It's. He's got a team that's pretty good, and um, you know, I. I kind of was really impressed with the team that he formulated this year. Josh is a guy who has his team punching above weight. They wasted Kutztown in the ACRC final. They uh, and they played great rugby all season. There's no doubt about it. He he definitely is a legitimate. Is a legitimate um, candidate for coach of the year, and he's a legitimate choice as coach of the year. I don't think there's any, there's nothing wrong with that choice, and I think that he's he's proven himself to be adequate and and very capable. and And like I said, they've, as you said as well, they 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 ran through their conference undefeated. They went in and they won a bowl game, and they challenged everybody. They they um, they played Kutztown. They had a rain out against Army. It was a, a lightning out, really. And um, so they they were looking for every piece of competition they could find. And those kind of coaches and those kind of programs, that's how you grow. That's how you get good. You have to search out competition, and you're not going to get anywhere. How much fun would it have been to see them play Army, though? Maybe later in the year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't. It, it would be be an interesting, it'd be an interesting style game because there's two different, completely different approaches to how to play. Yeah, so yeah. it's probably come down, uh, come down to set piece versus explosiveness. Let's see, never know. Let's look at look on to uh, player of the year. I'll get, I'll start on this one because I actually knew what I was going to pick because I already picked him. Um, uh, and and this isn't just because there's a party at his dad his dad's house this weekend, and I'm hope I'm invited. Um, but uh, Scott Lavala is my player of the year, and Scott Lavala has been sort of a golden boy um, throughout his development as a player. Uh, I, I picked him as an under nineteen player of the year back when it was e rugby news. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I've I've 
campaign for him to be an All-American when he was going to college overseas, campaign for him to be uh, on the, the NA4 team. So, yeah, obviously I'm, I'm supportive of him. I've known him a long time. He's, he's come from my hometown. Um, but this year I think that he just played a little bit better. I think that he, he's not a flashy player. You know, we don't see him do the big runs much. We don't see him do, uh, you know, even the kind of hits that um, make the viral videos. But what I see him do is everything he's supposed to do. He does. He makes his tackles. He always makes his tackles. He wins that line out. He runs that line out for the USA. He uh, cleans up garbage all the time. He plays completely unselfishly. He sets up tries with, I mean, he's got a very nice pass on him, at least to the left, um, and has... Uh, and has set up tries that way in the back line. Um, he does everything that I want out of a out of a uh, unselfish back row player. And and you know I, I guess that's implying that someone like uh, Todd Clever is a selfish back row player. I'm not saying that Todd Clever's game is is a little flashier and and more about running with the ball. If you've got him, then you need somebody else. Um, you need somebody to pick up the pieces. And and I think that Scott Lavalla picks up the pieces. About as well as anybody, and um, you know he's a big star at his club too. So I, um, on top of that, and I, I don't suppose it matters that much, but um, I, I think there are times when uh, Pat, you probably agree with this. We've we've not picked players because of their personality, and there are players you don't consider because they're kind of jerks, um, or at least. That you just don't want to hold them up as this is an example of um, an American rugby player. I have no problem with holding up Scott Lavalla as an example of an American rugby player to anybody in the world because um, he's a great ambassador for the sport too. As Scott said, he's a great eagle. He's a great player. Um, I am wondering, I mean, so far, two real picks from Alex are both from his backyard. Are you wearing like an Oregon sweatshirt right now? Or <laughs> what's the... No, uh, yeah, Scott's a great player um, and, and a great eagle, and a, a funny guy, and I think a guy who uh, um, his personality is uh, something that uh, most people would enjoy. He, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to argue with that pick, um, but I, I went – well, first off, I don't know who Bruce is going to pick, but I thought the obvious pick here was Samu Manoa. So I said someone else is going to pick Samu who's clearly become the best eagle in the world and is uh, in a hard campaign to be the best eagle of all time um, and is just dominating at number eight for, for Northampton and is going to be the richest paid American rugby player by far uh, when he moves over to Toulon next year. So I said, well, let me, you know, I'll, I'll leave that alone because someone's going to pick him and, and I'll go with um, the guy that we already talked about a little bit in Blaine Scully because I thought Blaine had an absolutely mad Massive year, the five tries in two games, and really doing more than just the five tries. If you remember against Canada, he's also the guy that ripped the ball away um, with his heels on his own goal line to to end the game against Canada. And I think Blaine has um, really, I think he's probably the second best eagle in the world at the moment, um, as far as form is concerned. And and he's young, and I I think the sky's the limit for him. And he's had a, a phenomenal year. And um, the fact that uh, we don't have to say Chris Wiles and Todd Clever when we're talking about uh, our best players over and over and over again is really fantastic. Um, and, and so that's why I picked Blaine Scully, but um, yeah, I, I don't blame you for, for Scott one bit. 
Yeah, I, I guess I guess I am being a homer. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it in that way, but it's true. But no, I wouldn't be wearing a, an Oregon sweat sweatshirt. That would uh, probably get me beat up in the streets. Um, mean streets uh, of the mean the mean streets. Well, you know, U Dub uh, has uh, pretty long tentacles around here. So um, and, okay. And, and anyway, you know, around here, you and I'm sure it it's the same in other places. But have you seen? Do you live in a place where? Uh, people change and rearrange their uh, Christmas lights so they um, are, are talking about the football team. So people arranging their Christmas lights into a number 12 for the 12th man for the Seahawks. That's what people do. They're always that's irrelevant what, by the time people yeah. are putting okay. Christmas lights. Well, well that, that, that's, what, that's what people are doing now. People completely obsessed um, decking. I saw, I saw a cement truck was decked out um, with Seahawks logo and, and lights and stuff like that. And people just getting uh, blue and green lights for Christmas. So, um, you know, that's who rules Christmas here. Um, uh, Bruce, what have you got? And I, I, I agree with uh, Pat, by the way, but uh, what do you got? I, I was, I was more thinking about domestic player of the year. So I had, I had two, um, Lonely Rouse and, and, uh, and Mose Timoteo and won their fourth championship together as a battery and neither one of them has really been around the national team scene for quite a long time. And uh, that's an impressive accomplishment to win four championships, especially to win four championships in, uh, in the same position. The only guy who's done it recently is Petri. He's done it with two different clubs, one with Belmont and three with the AC. So I think then, you know, and there's a bunch of guys who won three, but, you know, but that's that to me is a on that sense. You know, we're talking about Eagles, the best Eagles, and to me, it's it's uh, Samuel Manoa and 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 Chris Wiles, pretty much in a in a canter. Um, without Wiles in some of those games, they would have gotten annihilated. He's made some fantastic game saving plays. Scully has too. Um, there were a couple games there where, thank God, they had Scully and Wiles on the field. They would have been a deep shit. But, um, you know, so, yeah, if, if it's that, it's, I would say, Wiles and Manoa. If it's domestic, I would say um, Volney Rouse and Mose Timoteo. The, you know, four championships doesn't lie. And that's, uh, that's, a, that's a great accomplishment. The thing about Mose Timoteo is I think he's just embarking on um, another impressive rugby career because um, he's a referee. And he's actually a good one. And and you can imagine, you know, Mose knows a lot about what goes on on a rugby field, a lot more than most referees. Um, and uh, no one's going to really uh, back chat with him. He's. I would venture to say all, maybe Nick Ricono, but I can't even say over any of them. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, so it's, you know, it's not a, you know, it's just a. You look at referees that tend to not practice. I mean, when I was coaching the AC, for 12 years we offered referees to go to every practice and we play every day. Nobody took us up on it. Coaching Iona, I've offered people to come to practice. Nobody takes us up on it. So they, their practice is the game, you know, and they, they do some law questions where they, they're in, in writing. So very few referees actually practice, whereas Mose has been at practice and games for years and years and years. So he's going to have a way better feeling as to what the game is 
than a lot of referees who don't necessarily go to go to practices and understand what's trying to be achieved. So that's fantastic. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, when I've seen him, I mean, he's been uh, refereeing mostly sevens. He does a terrific job. Um, really, I guess, I guess, uh, Pat, I agree with you. The I, I and and Bruce, the idea that really. Samu Manoa is as dominant a player as there is. I kind of am reserving it because I think he's going to be even better in 2015. And I think that right now, you know, he talked about sort of being on a mission to, to quote unquote, repay Northampton. Um, I don't think, I don't think he owes Northampton anything, No, um, but uh, he wants to, he wants to go out on a high note with Northampton and he's going to, and he's then going to go and play in the World Cup for the USA, and I think he's going to rip it up there. And then he's going to go join Toulon, where he's got a massive contract, a four-year contract, and he's going to be a huge star. Again, I mean, uh, uh, as a, a bigger star. I guess the only problem with him playing in Toulon is that some people don't really pay that much attention to um, what goes on in French rugby, which they should because there's... Uh, you know some of the best teams in the world are there, but uh, um, I, you know, that I, I think his trajectory is is massive still. Uh, and Chris Wiles, you know, there's an argument that you could say that the Wiles sets up some of the, uh, the 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 tries that other people have been scoring and and defensively uh, uh, makes great plays. And I, I guess we've been. Def- Depend- I, I gave him an award this year on Golf Rugby Report, which was the, the player we take for granted and shouldn't. Um, and, and Wiles has been that guy. He's always there. The, the point you made, Pat, about the, the play that Scully made uh, at the end of that Canada game uh, was huge. I mean, the, he doesn't, you know, they don't stop them there. They lose the game. It's the end of the game, and he manages to rip the ball out and secure it. And then they, and then Falaniua kicks it dead. Um, well, it was just a massive, massive play. So uh, you know, we saw some really good things there. And so um, I'll stick with Scott Lavala, but I think I think we all recognize that Sammy Wino is um, the the biggest star in the game and not undeserved. Um, moving on to uh, the issue of the year um, or the story of the year. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there, uh, whether it's on-field or off-field. Um, and, and and I think there's a... There's a I, I guess I won't do spoiler, because there are so many different things out there. Pat, you start off. What do you got? Um, you know, mine is uh, one that's kind of been building over the last few years, but I think the story of the year is attendance at, at American rugby events. Um, you know, starting with... Um, back in January, the the Sevens World Series again a, a record breaking year for Las Vegas um, for USA Sevens, putting over sixty thousand people in that stadium through three nights. Um, then you know you go to um, you have the CRC where you're putting over you know what they say is eighteen thousand. You guys can snicker at that or call it whatever you want, but they're saying about eighteen thousand. Uh, you know through the course of an event. And then you go to uh, June in Scotland, where they've got another twenty thousand in a stadium, and um, you know, and then you have another eight thousand or so in, in Sacramento at Bonnie Field, and then you have obviously the biggest one of the year, the the sixty one and a half thousand at, at Soldier Field. I think that um, it's starting to get to a critical mass of uh, the amount of tickets that are being sold uh, and legitimate tickets. 
um, that are being legitimately bought uh, for American rugby events. It's something really cool stuff's going to happen. And I'm not going to sit here and project that it's a professional league in this year or the next five years or that it's a World Cup in the next 20 years. Um, but I think that uh, those sorts of numbers uh, mixed in with the participation numbers that keep coming from these different, uh, um, you know, organizations and associations that say rugby is the fastest growing sport in the world is going to mean more money in general coming into the game of rugby. And this year, uh, more people paid to watch rugby on American soil than ever before and probably by a lot. So for me, that's, that's, it's, it's a growing story, but 2014 to me, it reached kind of its crescendo. About, uh, uh, five events you list there, a, just under 150,000 people go there. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, considering there were, there were years where you'd have five events or, you know, in the United States and you'd be happy if a total of 30, 30,000 people went there. So it, it's, it's huge. I, I know I, um, totally agree with you on that. Bruce, what do you have? The story of the year is definitely the attendance and the all-black game and et cetera, et cetera, you know, piggybacked off of the, the Maori game and, and uh, you know, the, the CRC USA 7s, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's unquestionably the story of the year. The issue of the year is the irrelevance of USA rugby in that in, in terms of the amateur game, there's, there's, no, there's, there's no real championship in college rugby, we call it real. There's a lot of real championship tournaments that are fantastic. So, I mean, you have the fall faction, spring faction, you know, the ACRC, you have the the USA D1A, and you have the Varsity Cup, all of which are fantastic events. And and I think that's great. The men's, men's uh, national only able to be done privately through the ARP and the PRP and you know Puget Sound who is in partnership with USA Rugby had to leave America to uh, to go in and play in Canada for what they felt was going to be the best thing for them and then you have the high school national tournament is a privately run event high school Americans are basically run by Eagle Impact and uh and aircraft charter solutions the and the you know as you, as you go down the list and you start to the, the regional all-star championships are essentially done through um through private groups so i think what you're seeing is the irrelevance of things and i know that they're trying to talk about coach education and all that stuff and and no certification when even you look at that it and i posted about this on facebook but it used to be that there was total rugby, think rugby, focus on rugby, the Lions speak. Two of them were written by Jim Greenwood. Two of them were written by Carwin James. And that was the only books you really had. There was no information. And then you had VHS tapes, and some of you may not even know what they are, of, uh, <laughs> of, of games that were very valuable. I mean, most people, the only game they saw was the 73 Barbarians All Blacks or – Possibly some people saw the uh, the Cavalier tour when um, the 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 breakout All Blacks in '86 went to uh, went to South Africa and played a, uh, a series there. 
And that was the only rugby you got to see. Now they have, there's a potpourri of, of resources for coaches. They don't necessarily have to go to a venue to get the content. The content is there for free. So you can go to, to the rugby site. You can go to Dan Cottrell's rugby coaching site. You can buy Eamon Hogan's book. You can, you know, you can go to virtually any, um, any rugby union has coaching resources, be it the RFU, Scotland Rugby Union, Australian Rugby Union, New South Wales, USA Rugby Union has some stuff up there too, generally taken and done poorly. Um, but it's, uh, I think that that's the irrelevance of what we're doing is, is uh, I think we're wasting a lot of time and resources on things that there should be a focus at the national office on the national teams and that's it. And I think that the rest of it should just be able to be run by itself and allow these people to have the innovation. And if you want to tax them, yeah, tax them, tax them a grand the team and say, we're going to spend it on high performance stuff. And then I think teams would be far more, they'd be far more, willing to necessarily pay that it's almost like a thousand dollar leave me alone protection money or whatever the, whatever the, the cost is but right now they're paying money and they're getting their balls busted and bruce and you, you look at all these breakout organizations and they're the ones that are successful the, the things that usa rugby's running aren't successful they're they're a disaster to say the least and always have been the private organizations have done a brilliant job and anytime you have, you know, anytime you have liberty, you have innovation. And You're right. The rugby needs to give us liberty, not not control. You're right. You're 100 percent right. I think that is the issue of the year, and I think it's kind of like the uh, the story of the year that we're talking about. I think it's been bubbling and it will continue to bubble. Um, but you're absolutely right. Um, USA Rugby needs to learn to play nice with different partners. And I think they're starting to do that when they go partner with Legacy for the All Blacks. They go partner with IMG. They go partner um, with uh, 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 gosh, what was the other huge one that I'm missing this year that they uh, announced? Are they're gonna they're gonna do this this rugby international marketing so they can get you know some some uh, some outside uh, investment, which is essentially you know partnering with individuals with a lot of money. So I, I think that you're right, and I think that they need to 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 recognize the benefit of those things and the success of those things when they have them. Um, and not bicker with those with those groups. And the reality is the the thing that they hold on to, that they provide people, and that they kind of remind people about and hold them hostage with, is at the end of the day, it's insurance and referees. So I think that they need to realize that that's where they're giving their value to their customers is insurance and referees, and not withhold that from people, but find ways to uh, get more people insurance and referees. And 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 get out of the um, the being a you know being able to to run everything and and have their hands on everything kind of business model and for better or worse it's slowly happening uh, like you said and, and I think you're you're spot on um, and, uh, and the sooner USA Rugby is is more like some of the other national governing bodies that aren't actually running everything but instead running their national teams uh, the better. I, I wanna. It- most teams don't need the insurance. They have their own insurance. And well, that's not true. Well, then, 
then a, lot, a, a lot, a lot of college and, and you know, like varsity high school teams have their own insurance. And, yeah, but the vast and, and majority of mature and more mature clubs are, have. Yeah, are not yeah, varsity right. or are in any way. Right. Most, right. Okay. most of our clubs are our clubs. There's, there's, a, there's a, a chunk of them that don't need it and a chunk of them that do. All right. Well, that all said, the premiums versus the the the, the benefit to USA Rugby is, is pretty high. Um, they, they're certainly not doing it for premium. They're doing it. They're, they're making a lot of money on that. And and that's fine. They certainly can. And, and and that's and the referees. Everybody pays for their own referees. At least they do around here and have for for ages. And the Super League did too. The Super League gate paid for their referees. You know, I they had they paid five hundred dollars a game for the referees when it you know when the fees were done. Not to mention paying for the touch judges, taking care of all the travel um, and all that kind of stuff in in, t- in local travel and stuff like that getting guys from the airports and all that kind of thing. So we've always paid for our referees. So USA Rugby uses that as a – that's almost like a hostage tool. And, 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 and that's how they defeated Major League Rugby several years ago. And, and, and that's a – people are going to – the referees are – then they need to be better. If, that, if that's what they're going to give, then they need, the referees need to be better. So if, if that's what they're bringing to the table, they have to bring better refs to the table. And they're not. Yeah. There's right, well, some, there's well, some okay. that are good, but they're, they're not up to, up to well, stand. Like, it, you, can't, you can't play the same game that elite-level teams are playing overseas with the referees here. A, they're not fit enough in many cases. And B, they have zero idea had a referee to scrum, the line out, the breakdown, or to kick chase. Yep. Some of them do, but the vast majority of them don't. Well, it, that that speaks to your issue, Bruce, about uh, competition and, and free market and things like that. And and what 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 got USA Rugby better at events was the fact that there's competition out there. They're working harder to make, or they're trying to make their their college sevens event something more than just uh, you know a bunch of people in a field somewhere uh, that's prompted by what's happening what happened in CRC uh, and and you know the 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 Maori and the all blacks um, games are prompted by the fact that they're seeing more crowds elsewhere they're they're pushed and not not just uh, you know let's talk about some of the college teams that are seeing several thousand people go see their games um, they, they're being pushed now. And that makes them try to be better, and that's great. the The national team is pushed in the sense that they win or lose. Uh, so I guess, I mean, ideally, that there's some kind of incentive to make it better. It's kind of hard to see how they could do that um, with referees, unless we create some kind of competing referee organization. Um, but uh, you know, I that that kind of thing where where USA Rugby has provides something. And their incentive is, well, unless you do what we want, you don't get this. It's kind of like the stick. Whereas, you know, if we could approach it from a carrot perspective, the idea that, you know, um, Pat, like you said, let's get more people using this. That would be better. Let's get more people under the umbrella. Let's let's try to, um, you know, we what 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 should USA rugby care about number one they should care about their national teams and the success there 
Um, they should care about developing the players who could be in their national teams to get them there. They should try to sell out every game that they host. Um, and they should get she they should want in some way in some nebulous way to get more people playing the game. Yes, right. they should do. They yeah. should be doing more of the development stuff. Yeah, um, without 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 necessarily coming up with anything more than a way to get people to try rugby because there are already people on the bottom level wanting to teach it, and maybe there's there are holes to be filled about can use rugby try to to coach up more introductory coaches. Fine, but though th- there's a central aspect of that and I think we all agree that what USA Rugby doesn't have to do is spend as much effort in organizing a national championship or something we don't we don't really I mean we saw what we see what happened with the the men's club scene which is it's sort of you know it's splintered into you know we you know whatever happened in the Super League and the Super League started on its own anyway um, and now we've got the premierships, um, and I won't go into that because my knowledge is not deep enough. But you know, for me, the the issue, I was I was sort of picking on a on a specific issue, and I was looking at at something we've been talking about a long time, which was the splintering. And and it's really that's just a symptom of a bigger thing. But you look at you know what what's a competition? What competitions are out there? The the splintering of the the collegiate competition, the splintering of the club competition. And trying to identify what that means in a grand whole when somebody says, so tell me about rugby. You know, where do you play? When do you play? And you know the answer is, oh, well, it depends. And, you know, that's extremely frustrating. I think that it depends is fine. And you can – it's a lot easier for them to get out of your way and put whatever resources they have, rookie rugby, put it up online for free and let people use it. And then they'll grow the game without having to go through all this bureaucracy. That's the problem that people have with this. Starting a youth program more entails having to answer USA Rugby nonsense. For based on what the people around me who are trying to do youth things, they find USA Rugby to be a hindrance. Those people should be doing something productive with their lives instead of telling people what to do with their hobby. Rugby's a hobby for most people. It's not, it's not their lives. And to, and to make a bureaucratic nightmare for everybody is it, is, creates a disaster. And everybody else, like-minded people, can get together and set things up and set up competitions with themselves with like-minded people. Not everybody is going to be the same. And that's the problem. We have a very statist mindset as opposed to an innovative mindset and an entrepreneurial mindset. Even with IMG, we shouldn't even have to pay dues. If IMG wants the rights to all the, these schools, they should just pay USA Rugby that, and that should be used for whatever they're going to use it for. But they don't. IMG didn't give USA Rugby a nickel. They were given this. We spend an enormous amount of money on salaries and things and get nothing from it we do get a lot of headaches and we do get a lot of problems and we do get a lot of bureaucracy and it would be great if the all black sold sixty-five thousand seats in we shouldn't have to pay dues 
Who went? You dues payers went. Yeah. Like that should be paying. That should be paying mm-hmm. for stuff. That's what it does in the RFU. That's what it does everywhere else. It pays for things. We have a bureaucratic class that is salaried, and everybody else is a volunteer, players included. Without the players, they don't have anything. The All Blacks ain't playing USA Rugby. They're playing the Eagles. Those guys didn't get much out of that. So what did our guys get? Nothing. What did we get? Nothing. Who got it? They're going to have, they're giving away, like the USA Rugby, a nonprofit organization is going to be giving, and they're going to have a thing where they're going to partner with other people and bring in investors. They're going to give it, give it away. You're giving it away. They act like they're doing stuff. They're not doing anything. It's not helpful. It's detrimental. They should just get the hell out of the way and allow us to run the game the way we want based on our needs at the time and our ability to pay for our needs. And, and as an example of getting in the way, why is it that if you go to a championship, a USA Rugby Championship, that you have to sign a new waiver, that you have to sign a new form? Didn't you sign a waiver at the beginning of the year? Why is it that every player <coughs> now has to sign a new waiver saying all the same things you said at the beginning of the year? It just it is one of those things. Why do they make you do that again? That just that's the sort of thing that starts to piss people off. Right? Now, in defense of USA rugby or sort of pointing at things, you know, I, I thought the ACRC bowl thing was great. And and I just think that that was done really, really well. But if USA Rugby had done exactly what was done there, would we be more critical of it? Because I think we would be. And, and Bruce, you're right. Steve Ciano did a tremendous job with, no, with nothing. Wait, oh, wait, no, wait, let me, let me wait, finish. You, you tell me I'm wrong. Uh, he did a tremendous job with nothing. But because he did it with nothing, we're, we're just so delighted with what we see. Whereas if USA Rugby did it with all the resources they supposedly, we say they have, which they do have, then we would start picking at the negative. Don't you think so? Wouldn't we do that? Well, the ACRC costs you nothing. It costs us nothing. The USA Rugby does cost us a lot. Well, but but if they did it, right? If they just up and said we're doing, I mean, because they do stuff like that. And sometimes they do it it poorly. Right, and we sit there and say, "What is this?" But I, I'm just saying that we can be we can be extra critical, maybe justifiably because we expect things from USA Rugby. But when we well, when we make comparisons and say this these people are you know they're doing you know shouldn't we be critical of United World Sports and and the USA Sevens and the CRC and some of the things they do, even though. We as dues-paying members don't pay for any of it. They actually pay for it, and if they lose money, they lose money. Don't isn't it fair to then be critical if they do a poor job? Well, I think it's safe to say that the CRCs had plenty. Right. I'm not. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying isn't that fair? Right. That's fair. If they if they have a if they have a skydiver land in the middle of a game, right? Isn't isn't that fair to say that was a cock-up, whether whether we paid for it or not? 
Yes. There's, there's no doubt about that. The, the difference is that USA Rugby charges, uh, let's say there's 500 college teams. I don't know how many there are. Say there's 500 college teams. And they charge each of them 300 bucks. So that's a good chunk of money right there just in order to get their club certified. Then each of those guys have, say, 50 guys on the team at 40 or 50 bucks a head. They say 50 at 40. That's $2,000. Some of them have more. Some of them have less. But they're on an average of 50. So that's $2,000 times 500. You're talking about an enormous amount of money that they have to be able to do these things. And not that that's an enormous amount of money. It's enough money to be able to do it well. And But they don't do it well. They put it in places that are in the middle of parks. I mean, and, and these, the CRC was, was done brilliantly and teams do pay to be there in, in terms of they have to sell tickets and stuff like that. But that's anywhere. The, the ACRC ball thing, I don't think he charged anyone to go. Uh, it might've been 500 bucks or something like that to rent the facility and get the referees. It, I think that's what it cost. And then he had sponsors for everything else. And he did it with no time. He had no lead time. So, right. uh, yeah, but I'm, USA, I'm saying you got to take that out of the equation sometimes. The thing is that USA Rugby could do stuff and they could plan. The fact of the matter is, as we said before, and, and this is the point of what I, no matter who's running USA Rugby, me or anyone, we couldn't do it right because we can never keep everyone happy. Because not everybody is a like-minded individual and you start to have to make cookie-cutter things in order for expedience because you don't have an unlimited budget. So that's the reason for having innovation and liberty. It's not to say I could run it better. These guys are idiots. They're not idiots. They're actually good rugby guys. It's the system that screws it up. It's not the people. They're good rugby guys, and as and, and, and as Pat said, their hearts are in the right place. They just can't put everything together because there's no way to do that. Cal Berkeley and BYU and St. Mary's and Life and Arkansas State and Army and Navy and you know Central Washington, a couple teams at uh, Lindenwood, they're, they're different, and they have different needs than – say Central Connecticut State and 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 Fordham University and Iona and, and things like that. And then there's AIC and University of Michigan, but University of Michigan has different needs than the University of Nebraska. So allowing these teams to be able to operate within their groups in something that works for them makes a lot more sense. And again, it's not the people. It's the, it's the reason that you say like, Oh, if only government was run by a good guy. It's, it's The system is the thing that's screwed up. It's not the guy. It doesn't matter who the guy is. Every time the guy is there, the, the spending goes up. And the, the, the partisanship and all this other stuff just keeps on increasing. It's the same thing that happens in rugby. But we have a choice. We don't have to do it. We're doing it because everyone else is doing it. Well... Everyone else is broke. We stop looking at saying the D 
these unions are broke. The Australian Rugby Union is broke. That's why they want to come to America. New Zealand was broke. That's why they came to America. I don't know if we got a lot out of that. New Zealand did. I don't know what we did financially. So that's the thing. We're sitting there acting like these guys are the Jets and the Giants. They're not. We have that because we, you have to allow people to be innovative and you have to allow people to do like-minded things with like-minded individuals. Also, you have to make them pay the costs of doing that or attract sponsors that will allow them to do it. New, New Zealand, New, New Zealand and, and, and uh, Australia and, and the like are, are broke because when you have a, a, a central organization that, that gathers the money and for the most part doesn't do much to – isn't beholden to do anything to, ra- to raise that money, to get that money. They don't, they, they don't have to do their job in that sense. That money starts to disappear. When you have lots of people whose job it is to spend money and very few people whose job it is to actually earn that money uh, and it's dumped in a, in a pile in the middle, uh, then you lose it. Um, and, and certainly you could argue that New Zealand, Australia could, be, uh, um, could look at what they're spending and cut it back. And the same goes for USA Rugby, um, how they spend their resources. And as you said... The resources, the, you know, the, the strongest resource we have is all the people who are volunteering their time to coach and play and develop and administrate, which is a crummy job, and people do it all the time. Um, and uh, um, 900 college teams in the United States, give or take, probably spending in dues about $1.7 million. And that's that. That's before uh, you know spending on coaching development stuff like that, or 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 referees or local um, league dues, which they have to pay for any, as well. And the beauty of the ACRC and the PRP and the ARP and all that kind of stuff, and the Varsity Cup for that matter, is that if you stop serving your quote-unquote partners, they stop, to be par- they stop being partners with you. So you have to be good at what you're doing. Otherwise, people will seek out something else. And the great thing about rugby is that we're not seeking out security. We're not seeking out ways to have someone tell us what to do. We're trying to grow the game. And you can grow it by finding people that are good people and banding together with them in smaller groups and making like little corporate or or group decisions that benefit everybody in that group. And then it works. We're trying to do it for every, just take a look at the seasonality issue. It's an issue. It's a big issue. It's not going to go away. The, there are teams that say we are going to play during football season. There are teams that say you can't do anything during football season. Okay? It shouldn't matter. What they do is fine. And what we do is fine. What they do is best for them. And obviously it works. They're the better teams. They're winning. But we're playing better rugby. This season, our teams played better rugby because we're in the fall. We have a long way to go to catch up, a long way to go. 
But we're not going to catch up by trying to play three or four games in April, a game in May, and taking finals. There's, there's no way to catch up doing that. This, this issue is not going away, and I don't know if we talk about this being the issue of 2015. Looking ahead to 2015, what jumps out at you for um, the importance? I mean, there are – jumping back into the on-field issues, I mean, it seems to me that there, there are um, some really obvious ones there uh, with the Rugby World Cup and Olympic qualification for the men's uh, – uh, uh, for the men's sevens team and for the women's sevens team and, and for the men's 15s team, it's the Rugby World Cup. Um, you know, it, on the field, Pat, it's a huge year. Yeah, it's absolutely a massive year. And for me, I mean, the World Cup is the World Cup. I love the World Cup. I would never toss aside the World Cup for anything. But it's going to be largely, if we're talking big picture, you have to pick between World Cup or Olympics. The World Cup is going to be the World Cup. The Eagles are going to try to win that magical second game. They have next to no shot in hell of getting to the Cup quarterfinals. The story is the same as it has been for every World Cup since I've been a lot. For 2015, Olympic qualification to me is the thing that I'll be paying the most attention to and that has me the most captivated because uh, it's never happened before. Um, and, And the Eagles have a chance, both of them, to qualify for the world for, for the Olympics and then to ramp up for the the next year and a half to actually compete in the Olympics. And I think that both teams, and yes, I, I'll go on record saying it, have a chance to be on the podium. The men have a chance to medal in 2016 if they do everything right from here until the time that they play rugby there. And, uh, and the women obviously have that. So for me, it's all about the Olympics in 2015 and 2016. Um, though, well, I guess I can't say I'll, I will definitely be paying attention to the World Cup. But to me, uh, the Olympics is the story uh, until it's done. Yeah, I, I, w- winning that second game in the World Cup is really great because you get automatically qualified to the next one, which could change the tenor of how the 15s team is put together and operated and everything like that. Um, but at the same time, you're you're right. I mean, the the World Cup, the the World Cup is the World Cup. It's a big deal for the players, and it's a big deal for um, USA Rugby as they um, you know associate with uh, other national governing bodies and World Rugby and things like that. But for fans, you know that you're looking there saying, "Boy, I hope we don't get killed in this game, and I hope we win this game, and I hope we win this game." And they're not going to go win the World Cup. Um, it wasn't that long ago that we were doing a show and we were talking about uh, um, qualification for the Olympics. And I said, at the time, I said, at present, they, uh, they're not going to make it. I said, that at present, at, on current form, they're going to lose to Canada and they're going to lose the repechage. And fortunately, on current form, I don't feel that way anymore. Um, so yeah, I don't know. A medal? It's going to be tough. Uh, Bruce, you know, what's your take on this? I think you're correct on, on, on both counts. It's the Olympic qualification is going to be, is going to be big. Whether or not we perform in the Olympics will be big too. The Eagle 15s, I, they have some seriously world-class players. And you look at Samuel Manoa as a world-class player. We just don't have a platform up front that's providing 
an ability to use them properly. Um, so, but they also have the easiest pool in the World Cup. I mean, they have Samoa, Japan, and Scotland. Essentially three tier two nations. So if you are going to win and you are going to win two, I know it. There's no other bracket you can do that. They almost beat uh, Samoa in 07. Um, actually, the only reason they lost to Samoa is because they started absolutely horribly. Um, they're perfectly capable of of beating those three well, teams. That, but they can also the lose to all three of them. Is it on form? They're not capable of beating them at, at, the, at the current moment. The, um, but they can, and if you are going to win, knowing that you're playing those three teams should almost, every single guy should be jacked to say, we actually have an opportunity to do something here. You could be in the same bracket where there's England, Wales and Australia, somebody's going home. Yeah. You know, True. I'm sure England, Wales, or Australia would be in would take a spot in our bracket. They take the USA's chances in a heartbeat. What I want to know is if the USA makes the quarterfinals in the World Cup, will the Wiggles do oh, a nice. song about them like they did for the rugby league oh. team? important hang on uh, i happen to know a lot about the wiggles because my son yes. is a wiggles fan and i've gone to a ton of wiggles concerts the wiggles broke up the wiggles they're they're new wiggles now they have one original wiggle and then the rest of them are new wiggles so it's not real real wig uh, do, do the other ones want to go solo no they don't want to go solo they they're just old the wiggles are actually old they're in their 60s well, talking about the Wiggles seems to me to be the perfect place to actually wrap this show up. This has been a pretty enlightening first show of 2015, and uh, thanks a lot for your interesting insights, Pat and Bruce. Congratulations again, Pat, for your new job, and thanks again to Aircraft Charter Solutions for their support of Rugger Matrix America, and thanks again to you for listening. This is Alex Scaw from Golf Rugby Report reminding you that you can check out the Rugger Matrix America and the Rugger Matrix International Show at RuggerMatrix.com. You can also check out the Rugger Matrix America Show on Golf Rugby Report. You can also check us out on iTunes. So pretty much everywhere you want to find it, you will find it. And uh, for Bruce and Pat, this is Alex Scaw saying thank you for listening to Rugger Matrix America. Mm-hmm.